0: Well, wherever you are, if you have a copy of scripture, I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 39 as we continue on in our sermon series on biblical foundations, worldview foundations. And we are looking this morning at Genesis 39. We have just begun that section uh, on the life and the ministry of Joseph and that runs through to the end of the book of Genesis And this is one of the most significant of the chapters in this record. And beginning there in Genesis 39, verse 1, we read, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. An interesting little detail. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, My master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house Where they are in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the house and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard these words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, if you are anything like me, you are tempted to look at your circumstances, especially at a time like this, and wonder, is God with me? Uh, We tend as... Uh, The most spiritually mature Christians have a temptation to do, and the weakest Christians have a temptation to do, to look at our circumstances and to think if everything's going well, I believe God is for me, and if everything seems to be falling apart, I believe God is against me. Um, Sinclair Ferguson has helpfully said, in one place, that one of the great challenges of the Christian life is to be able to take our circumstances and to take God's promises and to bring together what seem to be contradictory things. God's circumstances often look like they're cutting across His promises. And we have to learn to bring all of our experiences into line and into keeping with the word and the promises of God. And and Joseph here, as the grandson of Abraham, having the great-grandson of Abraham, having received the promises, being in the covenant line, having had those promises passed down to him, having had God reveal himself already to him, giving him that great promise that he would one day be exalted and his own family members would come and bow down to him, Joseph is now cast into a, a situation of humiliation when his brothers sell him into slavery to the Ishmaelites and and we leave off with him being carried down into Egypt, we know where the story 's going. we know God is going to bring good out of this, but in the moment, joseph doesn 't know what 's going to happen. His brothers have no idea what 's going to happen. his father doesn 't know what 's become of him, and yet God is working out his purposes and plans in all of this, and it was very interesting. The name Yahweh, the covenant name of God, is not used very often in the book of Genesis, uh, especially during the the Jacob narrative. And here, for the first time, it is introduced when that repetition, the Lord, Yahweh, was with him. The Lord was with him. Seven times, God's covenant name is being brought to bear in the narrative. And what we're going to see this morning is that in this passage, we are taught that whether in prosperity temptation, accusation, or affliction, the Lord is with his people and is working out his purposes, God's name, his work, his presence, and his purposes are being revealed in all that he's doing in Joseph's prosperity, temptation, accusation, and affliction. I want us to look at those four things this morning. Well, no sooner has Jacob been sold into slavery that God is blessing him. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting short narrative. He goes from being put in a pit, sold into slavery, to automatically ending up in the home of the second most powerful man in Egypt and being put over all of his servants so high and exalted that the scriptures can say and Joseph himself can say that I am uh, like the very surrogate of my master. He is even no greater than I in the sense of authority that Pharaoh so trusts Jacob that he puts him over everything. Now, there are two things at play in the prosperity of Jacob. The one is that the Lord was with Jacob and made everything he did to prosper. Um, That book ends this chapter, I believe three times, between the opening verse and the closing verse. The Lord was with him and made everything he did to prosper. That's not health, wealth, prosperity. Um, That is... Uh, the covenant Lord showing himself to be good on behalf of his people, working in them what is well-pleasing to him. And in a world that is fallen and that is so warped and perverted and wicked that doesn't have answers, that doesn't have good news, that doesn't have promises and hope, uh, God works in his people so that they become agents of blessing and grace. In one sense, God is fulfilling the promises he gave to Abraham that he would make Abraham a blessing to the nations, as he makes Joseph to prosper, blessing the work of his hands. But then there's something else at play. As God is working in Joseph, Joseph is himself showing himself to be a man of character, a man of trustworthiness. Everything he, he did, he prospered. Harry Reader told me once, when you look at Joseph, every single thing that he does, he is counted trustworthy by others. In everything that he does, everywhere God takes him, He is seen as a trustworthy man. Pharaoh, I'm sorry, Potiphar is going to exalt him. Um, At the end of the passage, the, the chief prison guard is going to trust him. He's a trustworthy man. There's a lesson there for us. If we are walking with the Lord, then we are going to seek to be trustworthy people. Not sinless people, trustworthy. Men and women of character, men and women who want to do what's pleasing to the Lord, to be faithful, to be responsible. Um, It's a beautiful picture of God's blessing working itself out in the lives of his people. And you'll notice in the passage that as Moses unfolds this story about Joseph to us, there are are blessings that are accruing unto Joseph. We have seen that the Lord is with him, that he's made him successful, that he's put him in this position of leadership. Notice verse 4, Joseph found favor in the sight of Potiphar, He attended him, he was then made uh, overseer over all that he had. Um, He was so blessed that Potiphar trusted him with everything except with his food. We are never to trust everybody completely on every single thing. There is one little detail where even the best of people are not to be trusted most fully. Um, And yet, blessings, God is gifting, God is blessing Joseph. And then, notice the second part of verse 6 Moses says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now that also is a blessing. Uh, Joseph, like his grandmother Sarah, um, was a good-looking person. God had blessed him in form and appearance, and yet that is at the bottom of the list of the blessings that ought to be most highly valued, the godly character, the the privileges, the responsibilities, the blessing to others, and then at the very bottom, now he happened to be a good-looking man. This is going to become a snare This is going to become a snare and a temptation to Joseph as Satan is going to try to destroy Joseph with one of the good gifts that God has given him. There's a word there for us that uh, even when God blesses us with good gifts, it doesn't mean that they're always going to end up doing us the best service in our life. Um, Satan loves to take the most gifted people and to use them to his advantage, to puff them up with pride, to draw them away from the Lord, to trust in their gifts, to trust in what they have, to trust in their privileges. And and while Joseph will resist that, nevertheless, this last of the prosperity that we read about in this chapter in Joseph's life does become uh, the point of temptation for him at the attempts of Potiphar's wife. Now, I want to just say this briefly as we consider Joseph's prosperity. Um, The Lord is blessing Joseph. There are many times when God blesses us with bounty and provision and goodness, and it's right for us to thank God for those things. Um, There's a sense in which when Moses says the Lord was with Joseph, what we're to take away from that is that Joseph knew the Lord was doing him good, that everything was coming from him, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom there was no variation or shadow of change. And it's right for us when God pours out good things on us and prosperity for us to be thanking him and walking closely with him. I often think of Job, and we'll see this here with Joseph, that um, we ought not presume that we're going to be walking closely and joyfully and and Thankfully before the Lord in times of adversity, if we're not doing it in times of prosperity. So we prepare for times of adversity by how we respond in our relationship to the Lord in those times of, of plenty and prosperity. Well, notice, though, the passage moves very quickly into Joseph being tempted and no sooner does Moses tell us that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance that uh, we read in verse 7, after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now, I am under the assumption that Potiphar's wife would have been a beautiful woman. I think that would be a fair assumption for us to have. Most powerful uh, men have beautiful wives, not all the time, but But this wouldn't be a very strong temptation, I would imagine, if she was not one of the most beautiful women like Vashti or Esther um, in the scriptures. And so this would have been a powerful temptation. Here Joseph is going to be said to be alone in the house. The servants are often gone. Uh, Somebody has said maybe they knew what kind of woman she was and they were keeping themselves away from her. I don't know. But uh, Joseph is there alone with her in the house, taking care of the business of the house, and she is pursuing him. And she is not just pursuing him one time. Notice that uh, verse 7 says, After a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph, said, Lie with me. He refuses. But then notice that we are told in verse 10, As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her or lie beside her to be with her. Um, we are to sort of take away from this that Joseph has not just put in a precarious situation once, but that there is a constant deluge of temptation in which this beautiful woman, alone with Joseph, Joseph certainly could have scheduled uh, the servants' comings and going as he wanted to make sure that no one ever found out about this. Joseph could have easily uh, taken advantage of the situation. Um, Joseph is a young man with passions like we have, no doubt. And Joseph will go on to get married. He has desire, and yet as this uh, wicked sin, as he will call it, with which he is being tempted is constantly um, berating him and, and crashing down on him, Joseph resists this temptation. Now, um, I think the first thing we have to see in his approach to the temptation is that Joseph wouldn't have learned how to resist temptation at the most intense moment of the temptation, but was no doubt protecting himself. And in that sense, being more and more prepared for a very overwhelmingly powerful temptation like this, that he doesn't walk into it unprepared. He walks into it wanting to fight for holiness and purity. Now, um, we could do a whole sermon on a theology of temptation out of this and, and we are right to look at this and we are right to say God wants us to be men and women and boys and girls who flee temptation. Um, James has much to say about temptation in James chapter one. When desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. When sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Um, uh, our Lord Jesus says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The apostle Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Joseph is going to flee Jonathan Edwards has a great sermon on this passage on Joseph fleeing temptation and talking about the extreme measures we should be taking to flee temptation. And and while that is there, and while this is set in contrast with what we saw last week, as Pastor Brian said about Judah's sexual sin with Tamar, that that what is one of the most warped chapters in the Bible— and this is the extreme contrast of it. I think that we are to see in this more than just a young man fleeing temptation, but we are to see in this the example of the Lord Jesus. Now, we've said throughout this uh, series that Christ is the the archetype. He is the He is the antitype. He is He is the one to whom everything in the Old Testament is pointing. And Joseph, as John Calvin says, is one of the most lively types of Christ. And it's very interesting if we look at this section and we're going to look at the accusation, we're going to look at the, we're going to look at the uh, humiliation. It goes from exaltation to temptation to obedience in temptation to accusation to humiliation. And here Joseph is succeeding as the obedient law keeper who's going to be the deliverer of God's people. Um, It's not saying Joseph is sinless. That would not be how we ought to read this. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. Joseph was not in and of himself righteous. The Bible says if um, if anyone says he does not sin, he makes God a liar and the truth is not in him. Joseph was hewn out of the same fallen lump of clay that we're hewn out of. And yet as God gives him grace, to endure this temptation, he is being shown to be the redeemer that God is preparing to deliver his people. Now, uh, it's very interesting what we learn about Joseph as he uh, flees this temptation. She catches him by the garment, verse 12, and says, lie with him one day. But notice what Moses points out, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Now, I don't think this is an incidental detail if if you look at the joseph narrative the robe of many colors was always this prevalent thing it was it was as pastor cosby said it was the mark that he was going to be the leader in his father's house he was going to be the one who would who would in a sense shepherd god's people the covenant people he would be the deliverer he would be the one god would exalt and and that robe was stripped from him by his brothers and now here we're told that he has another garment another robe and no doubt Potiphar had given him this as a symbol of his authority, and he would rather obey God than have the privileges that he had. He he, he is learning, God is teaching him how to let go of what he might have otherwise wanted to hold on to, especially having already had one robe stripped from him, now to have his authority stripped from him again, but he'd rather not sin against the Lord. Now, how does Joseph do this? Well, he reasons, He reasons. I've I've got to read this to you. Ian Duguid has this great meditation on this. He says, if Joseph had loved his position or provisions in Potiphar's house more than he loved God, he would have given in to Potiphar's wife's advances. You see, she was a greater threat than getting caught by Potiphar. And if Joseph had loved his position and his provisions and his security in Potiphar's house, he would have given in most likely for self-preservation purposes and for self-pleasure. But Joseph loves the Lord more than he loves the provisions and the position that he has in Egypt. And I'll notice that he reasons. And very interesting, uh, if you look in the Hebrew, Potiphar's wife really says two things to him, repeat two words, lie with me, it's two words in the Hebrew, and, um, and then Joseph has this lengthy discourse in his response to her. Notice this, as he's reasoning and, and we get an inlet into what's going on in Joseph's life, notice he says to her uh, in verse 8, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern over anything in this house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What is is Joseph doing? Well, as he is tempted, he is processing internally on two spheres. He is thinking first horizontally, My master's trusted me. I want to be faithful. I want to be trustworthy. I want to love my neighbor as myself, right? Love fulfills the law. The last six commandments of the 10 commandments are not just, hey, don't give in to lust, but proactively promote the flourishing of a Christian marriage. Proactively love the spouse God's brought you, even while you resist temptations to sin in that sphere. Um, here, Joseph is thinking about Potiphar. He's thinking about Potiphar's trust in him. He's thinking about this being Potiphar's wife. He's thinking he's not coveting his neighbor's wife. He's loving his neighbor, and then ultimately, and most significantly, he is loving God. How can I do this thing and sin against God? So I thought about this. I thought about David's sin and against Bathsheba and Uriah, and if you take in account all the people that David sinned against when he fell— it's, it's, it's a litany of families and homes and grandparents. He'll actually have Bathsheba's uh, grandfather-in-law, Ahithophel, come and turn on him later in the narrative. And, and then all of Israel, God says, but when David comes to repent of his sin, in Psalm 51, David says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Here, Joseph understands that if I do this, I'm sinning against the Lord who is with me. What is it that sustains Joseph, and then more than that, Jesus in his temptation in the wilderness, is that both Joseph and Jesus knew that the Lord was with them. So when Satan comes and tempts Jesus, bow down and worship me. Our Savior says, get behind me, Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It is God first. Um, God gives Joseph the grace to resist this temptation and then there is the accusation. Thirdly, notice verse 15. Um, I'm sorry, verse, verse 14. Now she's grabbed his garment, She now calls the men of the household and says, look, he has brought among us a Hebrew. By the way, she is such a wicked woman, she now blames her husband for her own evil. She says he has brought in, and then she'll say the same thing to him. I actually think Potiphar knows what kind of woman she is when he doesn't actually throw Joseph to the gallows, but puts him in prison because he should have been put to death. He knows she's a wicked and worthless woman. And and she now blames her husband to the servants, and she falsely accuses him. Um, you know, doing what is right does not always end up with prosperity. Um, oftentimes, doing what is right ends up with more hardship in this fallen world. Um, Joseph is not being accused for anything he did wrong; he's being falsely accused. Um, Our Lord Jesus was falsely accused. Our Lord Jesus was condemned to the death on the cross by false witnesses who rose up against him, constantly in the gospel narratives, false witnesses. I have a mentor who said to me once, you know, you don't have to be doing anything wrong to get opposition as a Christian. You might just be seeking to do what's right and you're eliciting opposition and perhaps even accusations against you. Joseph here is now being subject to the accusations of a very powerful man's wife. And everything looks like he's potentially done this. You know, if this was a me too moment, and and somebody said, look, she has the garment, she's saying it happened, I think we might be tempted to say, yeah, it looks like he did this, but by all looks, to everyone else, Joseph looks like a guilty man. And yet God is laying in place all that he's doing. The Lord is still with him. He was with him in prosperity. He was with him in the temptation. He's now going to be with him in the accusation. And the Lord is fulfilling his purposes, carrying Joseph down again to a place of humiliation. And so notice that when she tells her husband, in verse 19, we read, "As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. This is soli- solitary confinement. This is this is this is the worst of the worst criminals in the land. And now Joseph is with the basest of people. I mean, this is extreme humiliation. He's not just with uh, white collar criminals." He is down in maximum security, uh, roughshod prison. And he's done nothing. Just like he didn't do anything to deserve what happened to him at the hands of his brothers, he hasn't done anything. He's behaved himself with integrity. And yet God is orchestrating this second stage of humiliation for Joseph Notice, no sooner are we told that he's put in the place where the king's prisoners were confined that we're told in verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph. Isn't that marvelous? The second he's put in prison, Moses says, the Lord was with Joseph. The most difficult of situations, in the most frustrating situation, in the most unjust situation, in in the most volatile situation, in the most uncertain situation, I... I'm thinking about what we're going through at present. I'm thinking, how is this going to end? Where is God taking all of us? We don't know. And it's volatile, and there's a lot of uncertainty. And yet, throughout this narrative, you get the sense that Joseph had a calm about him. He never seems ruffled by this. It's actually remarkable. He never seems distressed. He doesn't doesn't cry out, injustice. He commits himself to him who judges righteously, and he can go through every stage of what he's enduring because he knows the Lord is with him. He knows that God is his shepherd who will go through the valley of the shadow of death with him. When I was thinking about this this week, and how do we respond to trials? How do we respond to opposition? How do we respond respond to affliction how do we respond to trying circumstances we're we're facing that at present and and the word that i think the lord would want us to have this morning is that if you belong to Jesus Christ if you are in him by faith then no matter where you are no matter where he has placed you he is with you and he wants you to know that he's with you that great promise i will never leave you nor forsake you is what carries us through all that we endure. It's very interesting in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews uh, makes the point, uh, he says, let your conduct be without covetousness. That's a clear word. Don't, Don't be going around coveting more bigger houses and more things. Let your conduct be without covetousness or maybe someone's spouse. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that interesting? The secret to overcoming covetousness is believing that God is with us and that he's enough for us. And that we desire him more than we desire more things that he hasn't given us. I think there's a word there for us, especially at this season. Well, Joseph is humiliated. He is in the depths. This is a death for Joseph. This is very much a death. He has come from the heights, and he is now in the depths for the second time. It is, it is a, a living death for him. And yet he is faithful to God unto death. He is obedient unto death. And then he's going to be exalted again. And and we're going to see that he's going to be exalted again. And it is death and resurrection. After death is resurrection. At every step of redemptive history, the Bible is full of these little deaths and resurrections everywhere. And Joseph is the most magnificent picture of that, uh, typifying the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You know, it's very interesting when you look at this here is this one who was exalted, given a promise that he would be worshiped by God's people, and then he is put all the way down into the depths, and he's numbered with the transgressors. What a fitting word for us this week when we focus in a special way on the sufferings of our Lord Jesus. He is coming into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna on Palm Sunday, and At the end of the week, he is numbered with the most vile, counted as if he is the most vile and the most wicked. And why? Why? The Lord Jesus Christ endured the temptation he endured in the wilderness and the humiliation he endured every day of his life all the way to the point of death on the cross because of all the times that we have not endured temptations. Maybe we've acted like Judah in the last chapter. Maybe we are riddled with the guilt of our many failings, many sins against God. Times I haven't loved my neighbor as I ought. Times I have not understood that every action I have is either sin or righteousness before the Lord. And those times I have walked back into sin. I have gone back to things that I hate. I have not spoken as I ought. I have not taken every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I have acted with lust or pride or anger or selfishness or, dare I say this, covetousness, greed. And there is no remedy apart from the Lord Jesus Christ taking all that sin on himself and being numbered with the transgressors. Um, No amount of I'll do better next time changes what we are and changes our hearts and will turn us into men and women and boys and girls like Joseph, except that he was numbered with the transgressors. And this is the most interesting reflection, I think, Joseph endured all that he did because he knew that the Lord was with him and made all that he did to prosper, whereas Jesus did what he did for us, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that the Lord Jesus does something far greater than what Joseph does. He loses the felt presence of God, the comfortable blessing of God, the, the as it were, the prosperity of God when he is forsaken under the wrath of God because of my sin and because of your sin. Now, that's the good news. He rises. He is reigning. He is our redeemer. He has obeyed for us. He has atoned for our sins. And yet he is also wanting to turn us into men and women and boys and girls like Joseph. And so as we abide in him and stay close to him and cry out to him, we, we begin to hate sin more and more. We begin to attune ourselves to flee from sin, to, to accustom ourselves to, to turn away from it so that when we're put in a fiery trial, we, like the Savior, can endure and can find the way of escape that God provides for us. I want to leave you with this thought as we're in this time of incredible uncertainty and there's fear and there's anxiety and there are questions. What is God doing? Is God with us? What, why is this happening? What's, what's it going to be like on the tail end? Am I going to have a job? Are, are my children going to be able to go on with their schooling the way they did in a thousand other things that we're asking? It would do us good to reflect on the fact that wherever the Lord was carrying Joseph, Joseph was trusting that he was with him and that he would take care of him and that he would accomplish his purposes through him, whether in prosperity, temptation, accusation, or humiliation. Our God will do that for us no less than he did it for Joseph because of the greater Joseph, Jesus Christ, who was our king and representative and redeemer, who has lived and died And risen for us. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, there is so much we need at present. And I, no less than your people, need to be reminded of your presence that you are with us because you forsook your Son in our place so that you might be with us, never leaving us, never forsaking us, whether in times of prosperity or want. Our Father, we pray that you would press these truths deep into our hearts and minds, that you would not let us forget them. We pray that as we go out again into another week, not knowing what awaits us and trying to adjust to situations that are challenging to many, we pray, our God, that you would remind us that you are with us, that you would make your presence known to us, that you would give us grace that we might resist temptations and flee from them that we might not grumble and complain in affliction or accusation or seasons of humiliation. Father in heaven, would you please have mercy on your people, especially the members of Wayside. We pray that you would remember each one in a special way and that you would strengthen each one in a special way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.